please open your Bibles to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. We're going to read together. When I was at school, we had to learn scripture. Every term we had a passage we had to learn. I don't know if you still do that at Middleton Grange, but um, one term we, re- we had to learn, Psalm 51. So, a well-known psalm. Um, a psalm of repentance. Do you know the background to the story? It's, it says at the beginning there, a, to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. We better just remind ourselves of that story. David relaxing in Jerusalem. Soldiers all out on the battlefield. Sees a beautiful woman, is attracted to her. He commits adultery. He attempts to cover it up. Deceit, eventually murder, premeditated murder. Matthew Henry, in describing David, says his sin involves discontent. Ingratitude, covetousness, a hard heart, selfish, proud, worldly. But most of all, tragically, David was far from God. And we know in that story, eventually, after some months, God sends a prophet called Nathan. He gives us that well-known story of the man who has a poor man who lives next to the rich man who has one sheep. And the rich man has a visitor. And rather than go to one of his many sheep, he goes over to his neighbors and takes that one sheep. Nathan, in his description to David of what had happened, says, You had no pity. You despised God when you committed adultery. It's God that took the initiative, though, in pulling David back to himself. Okay, so that's the context. I hope by now you've got your Bibles open to Psalm 51. Let's read that together. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. 
so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Lead, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, Open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in, your, in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and in whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's just pray. Dear God, we pray that you would just still our hearts, remove the distractions of the world and things and fill us with your presence and enable us to hear and apply your word to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Keep your Bibles open at Psalm 51, team. One of the commentaries I looked at said that Psalm 51 is the most popular and the most sung psalm through the ages of the church. I found a couple in our old hymn book, a little bit old-fashioned. Why has Psalm 51 slipped in the popularity stakes? We've got one that goes on Psalm 51 Can you, that we sing here these days. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. But that starts with verse 10. What about these earlier verses? David's crying out for mercy. Repentance. 
Can you imagine singing together, verses 1 to 4? I feel the psalms being left behind in today's society for various reasons. We feel more comfortable talking about positive things, don't we? Come to church, we're going to talk about faith, love, hope, living the Christian life. Talking about repentance. That's a bit negative. That's a bit hard. Talk about sorry, apologize, repent. It doesn't come so quickly or so easily, does it? I think it's something about our society. It's not just the church, it's our society. We're living in, well, in some ways it's not different, but in some ways we are living in a different age. The psychology of our age, um, and I ask for forgiveness from any counsellors, but the modern counsellor, we go to him, or I go to my counsellor, it's my job to, to dig into my past and to, to discover all the things that have made my life so bad and so hard and discover all the hurts that people have done to me. I have to learn to put it behind me. I've got to learn to forgive. Then I can go on and I can get psychological healing and I can move on. Have you heard that sort of story, that sort of idea? But for me to concede that, that I could have wronged another person in my counselling sessions, or even here, we live in a different age. We're so slow to think about repentance. We're in an age where the young people, the, the millennials or whatever, their trendy thing to say is, I'm offended. What's happened? That's our only grief these days, of being offended by all the awful things that have happened to me. Maybe that's why we don't sing Psalm 51, verses 1 to 4. Still, here it is. David writes this song for the church. He writes it for us to sing together. I always marvel at David. His honesty. What, what king or queen, even the one that we have now, pour out their heart and put it on paper for the people to see and to read? But David is beautiful. He's honest. He's a king. But he puts it on paper so that we can see his heart. We see the obvious, his obvious failing before God, don't we? We can see the tension in David's relationship with his God. We see David's life and his dealing with sin and his relationship with God. It's like a roller coaster, isn't it? David can be so good and then he can be so far from God. Anyway, 
David asks us to sing with him, to journey with him. Can we spend, can we spend time on the earlier verses of this psalm now? These are the hard verses. To take David's words and make them mine. To push in close to David. By nature, I don't want to do that. I find it hard to be personally involved with these words. And when, when I read this farm, I say, oh, that, you know, that's good, that's interesting, it's, yeah, David, hmm, yes. Had a few problems. Boy, adultery. Cool. He murdered someone in cold blood. That's not me. I don't do that. I've never done that. David's case is an extreme case. He needs to repent. But wait a minute. Where does David's sin begin? Where does it start? What's the essence of his sin? Whatever is that, that's happening in this passage, David's is far from God. Far away. David is in a place of self-sufficiency on that rooftop. Self-confidence. Even, even a sense of entitlement. That's the place he was in. And now we see him on the pathway down to actual sin. Sin leading to a hardness and an alienation from his God. Hence he says in verse 4, Against you and you only have I sinned. See the commonalities that we have with David, will you? The details are different for each of us. Okay, not many of us have done the murdering, but sexual sins are, are common enough. They're universal. Bev and I were listening to a podcast this week by a pastor who, who in his earlier years had same-sex attractions. And he's wrestling with these sexual sins. And he, he talked of all those sins of sex before marriage, adultery, pornography, fantasies, sexual self-indulgence. And his comment was that nearly always when people go and when we go down those pathways, the one common problem is a heart that is not right. A heart that is distant from God. I ask you just to think for a moment even of your own heart and of your own sinfulness and when your thoughts and mind and actions maybe go down a path they should not go down do you feel that distance from God maybe you're still thinking David oh, adulterer, murderer that's not me but actually David's sin is it's, it's the same as that of Adam and Eve 
adultery and murder. Adam and Eve, it was just an apple. But in both, they distanced themselves from God. Then came the sinful actions. Here we are, Psalm 51. Haven't really started. But let's come together. Let's go close to David in these verses. I see in this passage, just if, if you want a bit of guidance and, and if you take notes, I see five elements of repentance and five beautiful things and benefits of repentance. So if you want to go one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. So we see from the, this passage repentance. And we see, first of all, repentance is a work of God. of God's spirit and of God's word. We see that in this passage. God sets up a way for David to return. God has to pull David back from where he was at by sending Nathan the prophet it was four or five or six or eight months when David was alienated from his God and miles away from him. God sends Nathan. God is at work in repentance. I put in a plug for the, for the catechism and I think it's in your bulletin as well. Repentance unto life is a saving grace, it says, wrought or worked in the heart of the sinner by the Spirit and the Word of God. Repentance is a work of God. Secondly, we see in this psalm that repentance involves a personal cry for mercy. A personal cry for mercy this psalm is a very one on one psalm look in those first few verses you have the words I, me, my my sin and then against you and you only have I sinned says in verse 1, Have mercy on me according to your steadfast love. Have mercy on me. Deal graciously, graciously with me according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, or according to your deep compassion. Blot out my transgressions. This is real one-on-one -on -one stuff for David. David might have claimed all sorts of things as a reason to be forgiven, but he doesn't. Think of all the great things he had done for God in the past. He had killed Goliath. He had respected Saul all those years with patience. He had desired to establish a place of worship for God. But he appeals to none of these things. He only appeals to God and his mercy. 
saying sorry, apologizing. We try to teach our kids that. But how much more beautiful it is to come and to say sorry to God. Think of our kids in the crash, maybe. Billy and Rachel want the same toy. Billy snatches it off Rachel. Rachel cries. A small altercation ensues. Mum comes, dividing the parties. Now, say sorry. That's hard work, isn't it? When you know that your sister or whatever is still fuming with anger and think the toy is hers anyway. Hard work to say sorry when the offended party is in such a state. What a difference it is coming to God. What a difference. We're coming to a God of mercy. We can come and we can plead to him. He is good to his people. He is good to David. He even sends Nathan the prophet to him. It's a little bit like like the father in the story of the prodigal son reaching out to his son even as his son poor and bedraggled trudges down the road back towards home. So repentance is a work of God. It's a personal cry for mercy. It's a desire to be cleansed. To be made clean. So it's not just the danger of his sin, but it's the filthiness of it. It's the offensiveness of his sin. David wants to be cleansed. Do you want to be cleansed from your sin? It says in verse 2, wash, cleanse. And then again in verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. To purge. Don't use that word very often, do we? To purge. Anyone heard that one used recently? I think that's what um, politicians do, don't they? When you see underlings that are showing promise, you purge them from the party. Maybe it's something you do to your carpet when it needs a a deep clean. But it's a pretty radical idea, a radical deep cleansing. Here in the middle of the psalm, David says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Hyssop. What the heck's that? Anyone seen any hyssop? Bev wanted me to go out into the garden and grab some so I could bring along as an illustration. Hyssop's a plant. You read about it in Leviticus 14, and you can also read about it in Exodus 12. In Exodus 12, it's talking about when they um, are leaving Egypt and they kill a lamb and they have to put blood on the doorsteps and they didn't have a paintbrush, so they used hyssop on the but there's another example, and why don't you, seems you've still got your Bibles open there, why don't you just flick across to Leviticus chapter 14, verses 4 to 7. Why, you know, why does David throw this in the middle of the psalm? Purge me with hyssop. We don't know our Old Testaments well. But in chapter 14 of Leviticus, verses 4 to 7, it says regarding a guy who's got leprosy and wants to be cleansed of his leprosy. 
The priest shall command them to take for him the leper who is to be cleansed, two live clean birds, cedarwood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop. The priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the bird with the cedarwood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the live bird into the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of his leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce on him and shall let the living bird go into the open field. So when David says, purge me with hyssop, being better read in the scriptures than we are, he wasn't appealing to some superstition. It's not a mere ritual, but it's an expression of the need to be cleansed a need for the provision of a sacrifice. And as that wee innocent bird was strangled or killed and the other bird was dipped in its blood and it was let go free, there's a, there's, there's a sign there of the need to be cleansed with blood. Actually, David should have been in on our sermon last week on Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, shouldn't he? Hebrews 10 verse 1 says the law is but a shadow of good things to come. When we read those words, we think of, oh, we've got the good things to come. They only had the shadow. But I think David knew Hebrews better than us just about. He knew the shadow. He knew the picture and he saw it pointing to the reality. And so I think they're fantastic words. When David says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. He's looking forward and trusting in the perfect sacrifice and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. A work of God. A personal cry for mercy. A plea to be cleansed. Also in David's repentance, we see an acknowledgement of the righteousness of God. It says in the second half of verse 4, that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now that sounds a bit hard to understand. But it's interesting, Paul quotes it in Romans 3 verse 4. Let God be true and every one a liar as it is written that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. And he goes on to say in Romans 3, our righteousness, unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God. So David makes his honest and open confession of sin so that against the dark background of his sin, the righteousness of God 
in judgment will stand out clearly. Does that make sense? When we have to say sorry to someone else, whoever, you think of your own examples, but at the end of the day when we say sorry, we have to acknowledge the rightness of that person. So David, in these words, when he repents before his God, he is acknowledging God's beautiful, righteous standards. I think that's beautiful. I think that's sweet. When we repent before God, we are glorying and honoring his name. Fifthly, repentance is not a one-off event, but it continues. I know when I have to say sorry, I want to get it over with quickly so I can move on. Okay, but David doesn't do that. And I think we have beautiful words in verse 3. I know that my transgression and my sin is ever before me. So if you're into the Hebrew and that sort of stuff, you know the different tenses. But his transgression and his sin, is he knows it and he will continue to know it and he'll continue to feel it and he'll continue to be convicted. Confession, conviction, it's not a transient thing, it's a continuous thing. Our nature would make us like to make it brief. I'm sorry, can we move on? And although in the immediate context of David's sin, it's really intense, but it's never finished. There is always a grief about sin in his life. I suppose we need to remember that sin, and it, and it says that in those earlier verses, sin is not just bad things that we do, but it's, it's a heart problem. It's an all-of-life problem. It's something from conception that we have as part of our humanity. So that's the nature of repentance. And I'm sure you could probably find another four or five points, but five's enough, and I pr probably should stop now. But I've got what I love about this is not just the nature of repentance, but the benefits of repentance, the beauty of repentance. So we've got a society that says, oh, no, keep away from that, that stuff, that negative stuff. But actually, repentance is beautiful. Um, pr trouble is that I've actually had a month or two to muse about this sermon because I was going to do it some weeks ago and, and part of my musing as you do is I think of marriage we know what it's like after the honeymoon is over there are times in marriage where we actually hurt each other yeah there's one or two married people here there are times in our marriages where we actually move apart. We can be at the opposite ends of the house, burning with pain, burning with pride. But we know that when we turn and when we say sorry, we can be so much closer to each other than we've ever been. 
Anyone experienced that? The most beautiful times in our marriages, I think, are the times after we genuinely say sorry. I'm just trying to, I'm looking for eye contact. (laughs) Maybe it's just me. (laughs) You know what I mean. It's not just in marriage, but it's in all sorts of relationships, even within families we see it. So this psalm shows us David beautifully close, drawn close to God, by God. Repentance is a beautiful thing. Repentance is secondly beautiful because it turns pain into joy. We see that in verse 8 and verse 12. The most bitter time of David's life turns to the most sweet. Verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Oh, that analogy to marriage is beautiful but there's also an analogy in scripture which is wonderful isn't it and I hinted earlier the story of the prodigal son and if you Bible flicked quickly to Luke 15 you could read a few verses Luke 15 the prodigal son the guy who was living with the pigs after he despised everything about his family eventually he returns to his family In Luke 15, verse 20, it says, He arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring in his, on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Repentance, pain is turned to joy. And you know what? It's two-sided When we come back to God and confess our sin, we rejoice. God rejoices. There is joy in heaven when we return to him. You could also use as an illustration the the story of the lost sheep and the celebration. Repentance is beautiful. It brings us closer to God turns pain into joy. It turns also paralysis into purpose. Go back to David. Think of the context. David and his sin for all those months. Hopeless. Caught up in himself. He was hardly an effective king during those months, was he? But now in repentance he has turned to God. 
And now he can say in verse 13 and 15, Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Sinners will return to you. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. He's turned around and he enjoys and he has purpose in God. Now he can proclaim. Now he can witness to those around. Okay, sometimes we are concerned that we should be a better witness to the community around us and we have we have courses and, and, and upskilling on witnessing to our neighbour. But I think upskill 101 is repentance. If we're in student ministry on campus, for example, and we have all these methods that we, that we use, here David gives us method 101. It's as we turn and humble ourselves before God then we can become effective, effective for his kingdom and for his glory, telling others of the glory of God. Paralysis and purpose we see in the life of David. Then we also see in repentance true worship. True worship. O Lord, open my eyes, it says in verse 15, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, for I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God does not want the sacrifice of animals. He wants our hearts. God does not want beautifully sung songs on Sunday mornings. God doesn't want our donations, our money. God doesn't want our time. He just wants our hearts. God doesn't want the excitement of a well-polished worship service. God doesn't want our sincerity. He wants our hearts. He wants our broken hearts. A broken and a contrite heart. A willingness to listen, to listen to the Nathans of this world when they come and speak to us, or when God speaks to us through his word. God wasn't that excited when David came into the temple a week after Uriah died when he was far from him. It was some months later. It was after he had been drawn back to himself. That's when David could come and worship God. I don't know, what do you find difficult when it comes to worshipping God? I can bring all sorts of things with me when I worship I try and bring this thing here, the Bible. The hardest thing to bring is my heart. The hardest thing ever is to bring my heart in a broken and contrite way. Then we can worship. Then our worship is sweet to God. 
our hearts are then responsive to his grace. One other beautiful thing about repentance. It's great for the church. It's great for the building up of the body of Christ. Verses 18 and 19. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Again, can you imagine what it was like in Israel those months preceding the psalm? Their leader had pulled them down and, and pulled them away from God. The walls had been broken down by God, by, by David in his sin. Unrepentant sin amongst God's people pulls down the walls of the church today. Public sin. We know those stories of great preachers or whatever who are caught up in very visible sin and how destructive it is to the church. But it's not just the leaders of the church, it's everyone in the church. When we live unrepentant lives and then attempt to come before God, it destroys the walls of Jerusalem. We want to see those walls built up. Repentance is a great foundation upon which God can build a great church. We can bring the most expensive bulls then to God. So when those, those closing verses, when it says, bulls will be offered on your altar, but it's only after our hearts are right with God. All right? Five things about the nature of repentance. It's a work of God. It's a personal cry for mercy. It's an acknowledgement of the need to be cleansed. It's an acknowledgement of the righteousness of God. It's not a one-off event. It's beautiful. It brings us closer to God. It turns pain into joy. It turns paralysis into purpose. It enables true worship. And it also enables the building up of God's people together. Hey, those two definitions of repentance in the bulletin are quite good. They're a bit old English, but look at them. I was struck by it. What is repentance unto life? I'll just conclude with that. Isn't that beautiful, the way that our Christian forefathers, when they talk about repentance, they want to talk about repentance to life. So next time you're contemplating the topic of repentance, just always remember it's to life. Let's just pray. Dear God, we thank you for King David. We thank you for Psalm 51 and the message of repentance. And dear God, at first when we look at this psalm, we see it as a 
repentant man. But then as we look deeper, we see it as a, as a story of relationship. Relationship and reconciliation between David and his God. And then we look deeper, dear God, and we see that this is a psalm of love. And this tears our hearts when we see the love of God, your love to David, and pulling him back to yourself. Dear God, this is a psalm of love. It's about David's love for the people and giving us this psalm. What a beautiful song for us to sing as a congregation. We praise your most holy name. Amen.